0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that.
1: Our scripture reading today comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're stepping into the second chapter of our peacemaking series. Like Fab said, we have these journals that we've been working really, really hard on. So if you don't have one and would like one, feel free to raise a hand. We have a team of people that will will give you one of them. So our uh, our first chapter was around this idea of finding peace. So what does it mean for us, before we go out into this world, to to get busy and do good work, what does it mean for us to be people who have found peace? Found peace with God, found peace within ourselves, and then found peace within the church. And I hope that's been a meaningful conversation and experience for you. Uh, Today, though, marks a turning in in our series. Now we're going to begin to consider what does it mean for us to be peacemakers in this world? And for me, it really begins... With finding a language of peacemaking. Today, to begin this conversation around finding the language of peacemaking, today we're going to consider the power of listening. So let me hear everyone. What is your favorite interviewer, either podcast or other broadcast? Dax Shepard. Okay, we got an arm cherry over here. Barbara, Barbara Walters. Old school. I like it. <laughs> Baba Wawa. Smartless, yeah, the three interrupting guys and Smartless. Anyone else? I have a glass, the OG, that's right. Adam Corolla. okay, that's great. So all of these are great options, but you missed the best one. I'm sorry, you know, churches usually say every answer is the right answer. No, you missed it. Because I'm talking about the goat, all right? Terry Gross. Come on, people. I will take all of your decks and, and, and Monica's and your, and your smart list, and I'll raise you one with this is fresh air with Terry Gross. I mean, she even beats out all the other NPR people, Lakshmi Singh. Uh, I don't know, I'm just kidding. I don't want to say that. But I really, really love Terry Gross. She's a fantastic interviewer. She's a really good listener. Uh, I have a clip I want to share with you that demonstrates why I love Terry Gross so much. So let's listen to this. Before uh, starting this, she's interviewing a comedian named Mark Maron. And Mark Maron uh, is in a show that uh, details a troubled relationship between uh, he and his father. So let's see if we can get it to play now. <laughs> so, so anyways, I have to ask you, did you have a lot of issues with your father? And, and did he? do you feel like he did not teach you to
0: be a manly man? I think I... I think that that those issues there are a little exaggerated, but true. I think my father's biggest fault was that he was, uh, you know, emotionally absent and and uh, and you know and and actually absent a lot. I mean, he was around, but he wasn't really checked in. And you know, he was a surgeon, so he was always out, you know, doing something that we were led to believe was you know life saving and important. And when he was around, it was always he was very you know either very manic or or, or very. Depressed. It was. It was very erratic. uh, If that makes any sense.
1: Did you ever become a hypochondriac to get his attention because he was a doctor?
0: How do you know that? Did you know that? How? Why did you ask me that? Where does that come from? From you? Why would you ask me that?
1: Why would I ask you that? Because it would be a way of getting attention. If he, if he, because you say he was always going away to do to save people's lives and yeah.
0: That's very perceptive, and uh, and very. Uh, that, that's why you're Terry Gross. I, you know, I, yeah. I sometimes talk about it on stage. I went through uh, a long uh, hypochondria period. I mean, it was. I I, I recently told the story about how I finally got over that it, it, the 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 hypochondria with my father.
1: How'd you get over it?
0: The how I got over it was an awkward series of visits to his friend, you know, Bob, the urologist um and i think i was on my fourth visit to bob's office and i had my pants down and bob finally just said you know there's there's nothing wrong with you mark do you like coming here and uh there was just something about that moment where i was like you know i i I, you know i'm gonna have to think about that bob and i and i think that this is the end of this period for me
1: (laughs) oh so good so like what that demonstrates is that like she's like truly listening Truly listening to uh, Mark Maron, not only that, but she is like, as she's listening, she's trying to put herself in his shoes of, like, what that would have been like in that experience. And, uh, you know, what that demonstrates is, like, uh, this whole other conversation opens up. For me, really good listening opens up worlds. Good questions open up worlds. We live in a culture, though, that doesn't value listening. We live in a culture that seems like it's growing more and more entrenched, more locked in. We have the culture war debates that are going on, the zealous partisanship that's happening, the enemy-making machine that exists in our world and sadly in our church. And our world is just getting louder and louder. And none of this is finding peace. Like we have to find a new way. And for me, the first step in this language of peace is won't be found in comment threads on our social media or in the news cycle that's perfectly designed to stoke disdain. The things, those things only bring bigger chasm and stronger walls. The first thing that we need in this language of peacemaking is to learn the redemptive art of listening. It's an art because it takes work. It's a skill. It's a thing of beauty to be a good listener. And you've experienced this when you've encountered someone who truly listens to you. It's a thing of beauty. And this is more than just hearing someone. To be listened to is powerful. There's a book in our scripture called Proverbs. This is a collection of ancient Jewish wisdom sayings. And many of them speak of the wisdom of being a good listener. This is all in chapter 18 in Proverbs. I'm gonna read three different verses that all talk about the power of listening. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's uh, verse 2. Verse 13. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Verse 15. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Wisdom, understanding, discernment all belong to those who have learned to listen. This kind of listening doesn't come naturally for us in our culture especially. We have to learn it. We have to see it and and practice it in our life. But the good news for us is this, that we are being led by the master listener. For God listens and Jesus demonstrates the power and the ministry of listening well. In my experience of church, I've been trained in evangelism, like going and sharing the good news. I've been trained in teaching and apologetics, defending the faith, in preaching and in debate. I have this idea like mature Christians are those who have been commissioned to go and say all the right answers, to call out falsehoods and defend the truth. But for this day and age, I think we need to be discipled and formed with another skill. And I wonder if Jesus might want to shut the mouths of his followers So that first our ears could be opened. Mark begins his gospel with a flurry of activity. Mark doesn't care for the nativity scenes. Jesus comes fully baked. He's like a grown man. And uh, so he like shows up, knows what, no wise men. He is set to action. And Mark 1, he immediately hits the scene and gets to work. He's out there casting out evil spirits, healing people. He's bringing deliverance. And then the word gets out that this Jesus might be more than just a good teacher, This happens in Mark chapter 1, verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Okay, imagine this with me. This entire town is outside of a home, outside of a home, hoping to get a moment with Jesus. Jesus didn't see this crowd like many of us would think. Maybe like many of us were trained in building a church movement. He didn't see this crowd and go, all right, it's time to capitalize on the momentum. Where's the bigger venue? Where can we go? Is there an auditorium? Maybe there's one of the five moody venues in town that we could use, right? Instead, Jesus chooses to meet with the people there in the limitations of a home. And in that day and age, probably not a big home. How do you imagine that taking place? I envision it personalized, slow, face-to-face. Jesus' ministry was that of inefficiency built within conversations and the limitations of a living room, one person at a time. I imagine Jesus unhurried, listening to the needs of the people. Time and time again, Jesus would demonstrate his care for people, not just by being an instrument of healing, but also by listening to knowing people. Remember the story of the woman at the well and the conversation that took place. Remember Jesus' desire to meet with Zacchaeus in Zacchaeus' home over a meal with his friends Remember Jesus listening to the disciples on the road to Emmaus he was hearing what was going on inside their hearts and their minds, not rushing to give them the right answer. All these times show us Jesus' care and concern by listening well and giving people what they truly needed. Jesus was also attuned to the more quiet, the more subtle voices in his community. The blind man on the roadside. Who was begging for help and being shushed? Jesus heard him. The children that were often turned away. Jesus delighted in the sound of a widow who gave her only coins and dropped it in the coffer. Jesus heard her. Jesus was interruptible, approachable, and he listened. And can we recognize? If anyone in the human history, if anyone didn't need to be a good listener, it would be Jesus. He already knew all their needs. He already knew their stories. He knew their longing. And Jesus, he actually knew the truth. Like, we would think, everyone else should shut up. Jesus, just speak more. Like, <laughs> he's the one that actually can say what we, know, what we need. But Jesus, he saw something more important. His kind and his patient, merciful listening brought about healing just as much as his words did. So for us, I think it's important for us to see that there's a secret to Jesus' ability to be a good listener. I think there's a reason why in Mark's gospel, there's this flurry of activity and all of the busyness that was going on. And it's followed by the other half of our scripture reading today. Right after this busy day, Mark's gospel continues, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Just as Jesus demonstrated this habit of meeting people and pouring himself out for others, he also demonstrated this essential rhythm of solitude, of quiet, of prayer. And the way we usually talk about this passage is that Jesus' private life of prayer is what fueled him, what gave him the spiritual fortitude to go out and to pour himself out for many. I think that's true, but I also think there's something else that is worth noting here. Our prayers and our solitude is also where we learn to listen. It's the training ground where we learn learn, uh, learn to listen in a deeper way. I think about the rare interview that CBS anchored, Dan Rather. Wasn't mentioned as one of your favorites. That's okay. Dan Rather, he uh, had this uh, interview with Mother Teresa about Mother Teresa's prayer life. And in in that conversation, he asked Mother Teresa, So, when you pray to God, what do you say? And Mother Teresa smiled and with confidence she said, "Uh, I don't say anything. I listen. So, then, rather, turned the question and said, well, okay, well, then what does God say? And she smiles again and says, he listens. And for an instant, it doesn't look like Dan Rather knows what to say or what to do. And then Mother Teresa adds this line. And if you don't understand that, I can't, I can't explain it to you. This beauty of listening to one another how profoundly important that is. It's in our solitude and in our quiet that we learn to listen to the spirit of Jesus. And learning to listen to the spirit of Jesus requires the openness of our hearts and our souls. It's about being fully present with God. And in doing so, being able to be received from God whatever God has for you. This becomes a training ground for our ability to do the same thing with other people, to be fully present, willing to receive, setting aside agenda. And if we are too hurried and too distracted to listen for God in our prayers, we will be likely too hurried and too distracted to listen to others. That's where it all begins. I find this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German pastor. He was executed by the Nazi Germany. I find this quote quite convicting. The first service, the first service, that... One owes to others in community consists in listening to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives his word, but he also lends his ear. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother or sister will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but blabber in the presence of God. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. And in the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter and clerical condescension arrayed in pious words. It's empty. It's empty. Without listening. Listening is not a non-essential practice. It's the first service that we offer one another. And it's what validates and opens us up to experience God. It demonstrates a true understanding of the ministry of Jesus. So how can we do it? If we are so ill-prepared to do it naturally in our culture and our environments, how can we learn to listen in such a way that brings about peace? I want to share four practices that I think good listeners bring that they learn So, four practices. The first is in listening, we release control. Oftentimes, when we face a conflict or hurt, our inclination is what? To fix it. Like to grab it by the steering wheel, to, to jump into the action. What can I say to solve this thing? What can I do to alleviate that problem? What can I do to fix this? But instead, maybe our first step is to realize I don't have control. Like instead of trying to figure out the magic words to change that person's point of view or coming up with a game plan, what if we learn to release control to foster a space where peace could emerge? I think a mantra for many of us in those moments could be the commandment we find from our scripture Be still and know that I am God. Being still is a posture of trust, it's us saying, I'm not God, I am not in control. I cannot change the situation. I cannot change this person. I can't just force something to happen. You know like coercion is the world's strategy for how to get peace. Like in western movies like what is the sheriff's pistol often named? The peacemaker, right? Like that's the that's the version of making peace in this world and that's so contrary to the way of Jesus. Jesus never used coercion or power in that way to cause peace. Instead, he was dependent upon the Father. He released control and was dependent upon the Father to lead and to guide him to be able to make peace in this world. This, like this, this this ability to depend on God, be still and know that I am God. I know for some of us, a practice that that people use when they are having a difficult conversation is uh, to open up their hands. It can be done underneath underneath the table in a difficult conversation, or just. You put it on your, on your legs when you're sitting down. But it's this, when you're entering into a difficult conversation, some people, when they feel this temptation to control and to fix, just open up the hands. This is an embodied posture of saying, all right, God, I release this thing to you. I release this thing. I just know I, I, this is an illusion that I can control this. I release this to you. And I also I want to be open to receive from you or this other person whatever it is that you want to teach me. The first step, the first practice for us to be that kind of listener is to release control. The second is to delay judgment and lead with empathy. This is not easy, guys. It's not easy to lay judgment and lead with empathy because it's human nature to judge, to judge people quickly, judge situations quickly. This is partially healthy because it's like really important for us to be able to know, is this a safe place? Is this person a safe person? It's really important for us, but that uh, ability to judge quickly also limits us. Just be honest. We all know, like, how quickly we put people in a box, right? Like, our staff was meeting um, this week. Um, this wasn't in the sermon. I probably shouldn't say. We were meeting this week outside at, like, uh, Cosmic in East Austin because we're trendy and cool like that. And uh, they were watching me. I was watching this guy. and They're like, what are you looking at? I was like, I'm looking at this guy, and I don't know why, but I just don't like him. Like, <laughs> I had no reason. I am just like, just, like, decided, yep. He's off. You're like he's out. I don't like this guy. We do this all the time. It's t- hard to turn that off when we meet person to immediately figure out what kind of box can I can I put you in? Like, oh, you live in that part of town. You have that job. Okay, okay. You went to that school. Oh, you, cool. You do CrossFit. Okay, all right, you're there. You know. <laughs> like mentally, we just all of us just rush, rushes to judgment. And I think we do this in conflict too, like rather than letting situations or people be multifaceted, multidimensional, we just slap a label on them and we rush to conclusions and we turn it off, like turn off our, our hearing and our ability to be empathetic. But deeper listening suspends judgment so that we can be fully present with the other person and we do this to understand their experience or point of view. So not only do we delay judgment, but we also try to lead with empathy. I think Anne Lamott's quote is really, really true, that the game of life is hard, and a lot of us are playing hurt. Many of us have learned how to hide our hurt. And if we can just remember this, like it's just hard being human. Like it's hard being human. I was listening to Job this morning, and Job was talking about um, Job is this old prophetic writing, and Job was talking about the human experience is like being a slave, just looking for shade. Like, just the human experience is like just trying to find a place to hide. And I think if we can begin with that in mind, like, empathy becomes a lot more natural. Curiosity becomes a lot more natural. Of Like, can you tell me why you arrived at that point of view? Can you tell me why this matters to you? And I think if we can, like, delay judgment lead with empathy. I think we can foster peace. Last year, I met up with some friends, some uh, friends in San Diego for a couple of days, and we rented this house. We specifically rented this house because the backyard was incredible, and it had this awesome cabana. So we get out there. We're so excited about seeing each other. We live, live in different states, and when we got there, we kept hearing this neighbor screaming, like just screaming. She was really loud and screaming, and then, you know there's this wall between our house and her, so we just kind of, oh, that's kind of weird, whatever. But, like, day three, we realized, like, she kept screaming, and then we realized, oh, she's screaming profanity at us, like, to us. This isn't just to the world. Like, she's screaming at us. And so what do we do? Like, mature people, we start screaming back at her, right? And I usually tell the story where I'm the dunce, and this story I kind of shine a little bit. So I decided, in this rare moment, like, all right, this is not going well. So I walked around the wall, and I got to where I could see her, like eye to eye, see her, and I said, hi, my name is Mark. You seem really frustrated. Can you just share what's going on? And you could tell, like, slowly started calming down. She talked about, I live next to this Airbnb, and you think that this day is special, but this happens every single day. You're loud, you're partying, blah, blah, blah. We're talking a little bit, and then she goes, you know, you have really kind eyes. I'm not saying she kind of started hitting on me, but, you know, she was, like, a little bit intoxicated. I could tell. I was there with, like, this awesome hairdo. And, (laughs) guys, uh, that's how I met Jen. (laughs) Where is she? Yeah, she's hiding. Okay. No, but, like, you know, I could easily just in that moment, like, Just slapped a label on her. She's an angry drunk. This is what happens. She's a weird California person, right? (laughs) Whatever it might be, just slap a label on and just move on. But just, just seeing her face, remembering that, oh, she's a person. She has a name. She has a story. It would really stink to live next to a party house. And every single day, there are some tourists that are excited to see there that blaring the OC theme song Because they're in California. I'm not saying I did that. But like, you know, uh, that would really be hard. And just I've just been thinking about that encounter with this woman and de-escalating it just by seeing a person on the other side of a wall. For us, if we can delay judgment and lead with empathy, I feel like a lot of things would de-escalate. And we realize there are people on the other side of these equations. This isn't just an issue And those people over there, with whatever label, but there are people with a story, we can practice sympathy. The third third practice for us is, unless asked, don't offer advice. (laughs) This is hard for many of us, especially when we know what they should do, right? (laughs) James 1.19 says, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry quick to listen and then slow to speak and become become angry. We might think that peacemakers are commissioned to be God's advice givers in this world, right? And the more that we walk with Jesus, the more advice that we have to give. Like, we have the keys to unlock everything. But when we push advice on people, we're locking doors. We're not unlocking anything. And you know it's obvious when you are talking to someone and you know that they're just waiting for you to stop talking so that they could tell you the other side of it. And you know how much that just shuts down everything. But true listening brings about peace. It doesn't mean that you're agreeable. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. And I think there's, this is a, where it's an art, <laughs> is that there are times where, you know, because things step over the line, you can share the other point of view, but you can do it with calm and respect. For me, this is a nuance that I try to use is, I try to say I disagree with that idea. I'm not, I don't say I disagree with you or I think you're wrong, whatever, because all of a sudden you're pointing it at a person and not this thing. And it, for me, it just changes the conversation to say, just to let, let you know, I, I see things differently, but I want to know more about what's, what's going on. Because that for me, it allows me to speak my truth while also receiving and allows the other person to know if they want to hear from me, they can ask, and hopefully they've experienced what it means to be a better listener in the same way. So we withhold our advice, we're, 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 we're quick to listen, we're slow to speak. And for the fourth uh, practice, that, the final practice for me that I would extend for us is that we also listen with the Spirit. So it's more than just having empathy and delaying judgment, not sharing advice and releasing control. It's also God's a part of this. And this is where our conversation, our ability to listen is different than our approach than other people might take. Because this kind of listening, that truly fosters peace, is a listening that recognizes that God is a part of this conversation too. And if we've normalized listening to God in solitude and in prayer, then we can be able to do that with God and with other people at the same time. We're also attentive to the spirit of Jesus when I'm having this, this difficult conversation that Christ, I'm not going to have to invite Christ into it. Christ is all, already there. And so for me, i just becoming more aware of that. So when I'm entering into a conflict, and I'm on my A game, which doesn't always happen, I try to pause, try to take a deep breath, and remember that the Spirit is here listening as well. And I have found that when I do that, I experience a deeper sense of compassion. Like I actually find that there's a compassion that fuels me that I usually don't have. And sometimes there's a a question that might be prompted in my spirit that I usually wouldn't ask. But sometimes I feel like the spirit of Jesus is there as the third member in this conversation. There's this great word in the Buddhist tradition, this word mu. Uh, In their tradition, mu means to unask a question because there's a better question underneath. When we ask overly simplified binary questions just meant to put people into categories, someone might say, Moo, I think there's a better question you could be asking. I think there's something underneath that we could explore. And I wonder how often the Spirit of God might hear our petty, overly simplified dialogues and want us to experience a deeper conversation if only we could ask. As shared earlier, good questions open up worlds. A world where peace could exist. Deeper questions draw out deeper answers. Wiser questions draw out wiser answers. And this is what can happen if we listen to others with the Spirit of Christ. So we release control. We delay judgment. We lead with empathy uh, and curiosity, withhold advice. And we try to, as best we can to listen with the Spirit. Just think of what kind of peace could be released if we did that. Think about what kind of peace could be happening within the languages that we, conversations that we have with one another. I want to leave with this word picture that's been staying with me this week. I I remember as a kid playing with stethoscopes. Remember stethoscopes? Like as a kid, you you know, someone might have a little doctor play area or you go to the doctor and you feel that cold metal stethoscope on your chest or your stomach. I've been thinking about stethoscopes and thinking about listening well. In 1816, René Lennec, was noted, he was the one that created, he invented stethoscopes, and he he was noted for saying this to his medical practitioners. He said this advice. Listen to your patient's bodies. They are telling you how to heal them. I like that picture because this device requires that I draw near to another I'm not on the other side of a wall. I'm actually drawing really near to to someone. I have to still myself. I have to quiet myself if I really want to deeply listen. And I need to remember there's a tender heart inside the other and that heart is only trying to do one thing to keep this person alive. I believe that might be the narrow pathway leading to peace that waits us if we're willing to listen. Those who day after day take the stethoscope and put it on the breast of God so we can listen to God's heart. And in doing so, then we learn to move throughout this world, listening to others with proximity, with empathy, with grace, with a longing to create peace in our midst. So this week, may God not open our mouths as much as our ears so that we could hear the silent and somber rumbling of peace that wants to spring forth all around this world. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at
0: thevineaustin.org.